verses 1 through 16. And this is now after uh, that sermon uh, on the day of Pentecost that uh, Peter had preached. And, and we continue on from there. This is uh, some days later. It doesn't really give us a timeline, but a little bit after that at least. And Peter continues to preach forgiveness in Christ's name. And we'll get to that part of the speech or the sermon uh, next time, Lord willing. Uh, we're going to kind of stop midway through, much like we did uh, with that sermon in chapter 2. We'll get a little bit of a sermon that uh, Peter preaches, but there's something that happens leading into it. And uh, we've seen that, that many have been saved, uh, 3,000, it says back in chapter 2, verse 41. And then that number kept adding day by day, uh, we see in 2.47, uh, that there are more and more. And now we come to this event that Luke records for us in Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gates of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. The word of the Lord, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and 
the men who have written it for us and the truth that it contains. And Lord, we pray that you will open our hearts to your truth, that we may be grounded in it and firmer in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one thing you may have noticed in Luke, or in uh, Acts, as Luke writes this, and as we've gone through it, and we'll continue to go through it, is there's a fair amount of repetition. And Luke does that intentionally. It's this echo effect of uh, making a point and then reinforcing that point and, and bringing it up over and over. And it actually, uh, this will... Uh, lead into a little confrontation that Peter and John are going to have with some Jewish leaders. And that will happen a few times, actually, as, as it happened to Jesus. Uh, so there's going to be some repetition there. And, and some of the language you'll notice he repeats uh, over and over again. Uh, and, and this uh, passage, uh, this, this healing is something that we'll see, not exactly like this, but this pattern of great healings attracting a crowd. And in this one, we see Peter and John going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, uh, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. This would be the second uh, time of prayer during the day. They had another one in the morning. But notice uh, this idea of, of repeating things and bringing things up again. He mentions the hour of prayer specifically. And then so we have this idea again of prayer. In chapter 1 and in chapter 2, he had told us about the disciples and that they were devoted to prayer. He mentioned it a couple of times. When we get to chapter 4, he'll talk about prayer again. In fact, he records a prayer for us that we'll get to in a few weeks. But there's this idea of prayer here again, and I'll bring it up again. Uh, if he's going to make a big deal of it, I will too. Because I think too often we have the wrong idea of prayer. And by that I mean... We have this idea that when I get everything together, then I can focus a little more on my prayer life. You know, I got things going crazy over here, and, and so let me get things straightened out, and then I'll have time to devote to prayer and, and spend some time there. But uh, for a Christian to say that is much like a man who wants to fix his car that's not running, and he says, uh, uh, I'm going to fix this car and get it running, and then when I do, I'll drive to the auto parts store and pick up what I need to get for my car uh, the part that I can get it to start running. It, it makes no sense. You've got everything backwards. You know, the guy can get under his car and turn all kinds of bolts and nuts and make all kinds of noise and get all greasy, but unless you have what you need, he's not going to get too far. And that's how it can be with us in prayer. We can make all kinds of noise and get ourselves dirty. But unless we start with prayer, we're really not going to get that far. And Luke makes a big deal of this as he goes through Acts, especially this early part. And so if you get 
tired of me talking about prayer. Blame Luke. Right? He's the one that keeps bringing it up. Uh, and, and when we get to 4, chapter 4, I'll bring it up again just to warn you. But here we are, this hour of prayer. And, and now the, the narrative starts. And here's this man in verse 2, lame from birth. And they laid him daily at, at this gate in the, in the temple. Now, he's been lame from birth, and, and this is actually a, somewhat of a long uh, story. It goes all the way to the end of chapter 4. And when we get towards the end of the, of the story, we, we find out that this man is over 40 years old. You see that in, in chapter 4, verse 22. So he's 40-plus years old. They've been laying him daily at this gates, at these busy times when people would come. So the idea is Peter and John have probably seen this guy before, and he's probably seen them. Uh, so it's this is nothing new. He's been there for many days now, but today, as Luke writes this, this day he writes about everything's going to be different for him and uh, pretty much for uh, everyone that's around him at this point. And, and they laid him at the gate. It's called the beautiful gate. And he's asking alms. Basically, he's, he's begging. He's asking for donations. Uh, and, and the ethics of the day, uh, much like the ethics of, of our day, is, is you take care of those that can't take care of themselves. And, and being lame, uh, begging was really his, his only source of income. They didn't have anything set up uh, at this point for people who couldn't work. And, and so beggars couldn't be shy. They had to be pretty open about uh, their situation. And so he asks uh, Peter and John, and he may have asked before and may have actually received something from them before. But he genuinely has no other way of income, and so he asks. And, and seeing uh, Peter he, they, and John, uh, he asks, and, and notice all the sight words that uh, Luke uses here. And, and then Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention. Luke is using all these sight words, uh, gaze, seeing, look, attention. And, and he's focusing us on what is to come. Peter doesn't want this man to miss the statement he's about to make. And Luke doesn't want us to miss it either. So he wants us to, to look at this and focus our attention on what Peter is about to say. Because this man is expecting something, it says at the end of verse 5. But... Uh, much like Jesus, when we get to the disciples, we know this, expect the unexpected. That's kind of the, the aura that's surrounded uh, Jesus, and it extends here to Peter and John. Expect the unexpected. And, and as Peter starts speaking, it's actually somewhat of a letdown. I have no silver or gold. And actually, this is probably almost what the guy was expecting. And I think this is why Peter demanded his attention. Make sure you keep paying attention to me here because it would have been easy to check out as soon as Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold. He's probably heard that a lot. Uh, in fact, uh, there was an ancient philosopher, Diogenes, and, and he was before 
this time some years, but uh, he was a beggar. He was a philosopher and, and chose to be a, a beggar. There was some, he was a controversial guy to begin with, but uh, he always said that beggars had to be witty. You had to draw attention to yourself and, and be quick-witted because you had to be the one to draw attention to yourself. And, and uh, he advocated uh, that beggars would practice begging from statues to get yourself accustomed to being turned down because you have as much chance with the statue as you do from many of the people passing by. That's kind of the lifestyle uh, they had. So when Peter starts out saying, I have no silver or gold, the guy, well, yeah, that sounds about right. But what I do have, I give to you. This is why Peter's been demanding his attention, because this is, this is the focus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The emphasis there on Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Paul, or I, I'm sorry, Peter only wanted his attention so that he could highlight Christ. He could highlight Jesus. It's no silver or no gold. He's, he's not a charlatan. That's, that's part of what's uh, the understory there. I, I'm, not, I'm not a rich guy trying to get richer. I have something better for you. I have Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he took him by the hand and raised him up. And, and his feet and ankles are strong. And then we get a little repetition from Luke again. Uh, he's leaping and walking and he's walking and he's leaping and he's leaping and praising God and he's walking and he's praising God. And you got get you kind of get this image that Luke wants us to see. It's this man leaping and walking around and giving praise to God. I'm sure there's a lot of woo-hoos and yay-hoos and whatever else he might be saying, drawing a lot of attention to himself. Uh, a little bit of this is a prophecy, Isaiah uh, 35, then the lame man shall leap like a deer. And this man is leaping and, and praising God. And, and the people, they're looking at him now and they recognize him. Wait a minute, this is the guy that's been laying here as long as I can remember. 40 plus years he's been laying here and, and there's wonder and amazement. And, and in God's providence, look what the man does. He clings to Peter and John. He just didn't go running off, but he, he stayed with Peter and John. And I almost get this image in my mind of, of one arm around Peter and one arm around John and, and holding on to them and drawing attention not only to himself, but to Peter and to John. And the people, it says, are utterly astounded and, and ran together. They've got to see what's going on here. And throughout Acts, this is another one of the, the ideas uh, that I mentioned earlier. Uh, throughout Acts, uh, these signs, these miracles are the most abundant means of drawing attention to the gospel. And Peter sees what's happening in front of him. He, he sees what's going on. This guy has now attracted a whole bunch of attention, and he's holding on to Peter and John, so now that attention is on them as well. And the question for Peter, before I get to Peter's question for the people, the question for Peter is, you have everybody's attention. 
Now what are you going to do, Peter? That little situation of having no silver or gold, you might be able to take care of that now. You've got everyone's attention. You can make a name for yourself here, Peter. The spotlight's on you. What are you going to do? And Peter, seeing everybody, addressed them in verse 12 and starts by saying, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? You've got the wrong guys, is what he's saying. The wrong guy. There's actually one that you should be looking at, not, not us here. Don't look at us. Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? This guy's been lame 40 years. Peter's saying, I, I don't have the kind of power to fix somebody who's been lame 40 years. And I love how he says, nor the piety. I don't have the piety to heal anybody. I got a list of sins. You guys want the list? I'll give it to you. And, and he said, it's not my power, not my piety, but the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. And this was a common way that the Jewish people would identify the true God. In fact, Jesus used this phrase, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the, the true God glorified his servant, Jesus. And there's, there's some prophecy in there. Isaiah 52, uh, 13 reads, Behold my servant. That word servant becomes big. Behold my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And they know that prophecy. And so he said that, that servant is Jesus, who's now high and lifted up. But he does mention, much like he did on the sermon at Pentecost, uh, you delivered him over and you denied him and you had him killed. But I also want you to notice what he says about Jesus. He's holy and righteous. And he's the author of life. Now, the author of life they knew was God. So there is the nod towards Jesus' deity here. He is God, this author of life. There's also that idea that you wanted a murderer rather than the author of life, rather than the guy who gave you life. But when you see what else he's saying is he is the one with the power. He is the author of life. He can do this. He is the holy and righteous one. He has, he has the piety. The one with the power and the piety to do this is Jesus. And it is his name. Faith in his name has made this man strong. Whom you see and know, you can't deny this. He's right here. Faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He's strong. He couldn't walk for 40 plus years and now he's jumping up and down in this perfect health. And it's by faith in this name of Jesus 
And I want to think about that faith in his name just a little bit. Because whose faith is Peter talking about? When we don't think about it too much, we say, well, the man's faith. But if we go back to the miracle and look at what actually happens there, in verse 6 and 7, you'll notice that it's Peter who calls on the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he's very specific about it. There's no wiggle room in this. He's very specific on who he's talking about. This Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was crucified on the cross and rose again. He's very specific. And also notice it's Peter who takes the guy by the hand and Peter lifts him up. Now the guy may have believed in Jesus, but that is not Luke's focus here. Luke's focus is that it's Peter who called on Jesus' name. And Peter, you almost get this idea if he grabbed him by the hand and jerked him up. The guy had no choice. You're standing, dude. I'm going to make sure you stand. And immediately everything's fixed and he's, he's leaping and jumping and the man immediately knows who to praise. He praises God because Peter was very upfront about the power and the piety behind this healing. But it's Peter who calls on Jesus' name and Peter who picks him up. And so my question to you then is, do you have that kind of faith that you believe that God is working in you to build his kingdom? A lot of people will have faith and then kind of try to fly under the radar, maybe hope they aren't noticed too much. But do you have that faith that God has a plan for each and every one of his children to be witnesses? Because I think this is important. This is what turns our faith from an inward thing to an outward, effective, hopeful, even joyful ministry is understanding that God works through his people and having that faith that God is working through you because we do know this, every soul that is saved, every heart that turns to Christ is a miracle of God. No one has ever been saved because a mere man has said or done something to save that person. The only way people are saved is because God performs a miracle in the heart and gives you faith. Scripture says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. It takes God to change our hearts. And like Peter, we have neither the power nor the piety really to save anyone. 
God does the miracle. But like Peter, we cannot, we cannot let our inadequacies limit God. Peter knows his limitations. I don't have the power or the piety to fix this man. But God's working in me. And God can perform this miracle. It's Peter's faith. And, and do you have faith in God's strength through you? Have that kind of faith. And if not, maybe that needs to be part of your prayer. Increase my faith that I trust you more, not only for my salvation, and that's, a, that's your starting point, and that's a miracle in itself. And we praise God for the miracle that he's done in our hearts. But increase my faith that it becomes outward now, knowing that you're working through me to perform other miracles. Because God doesn't have invisible children as it's been said. He doesn't give people the Holy Spirit and then just make you disappear. You all have someone's attention or will have someone's attention. Or in the case of Peter, maybe demand someone's attention. And do you have the faith that the author of life is using you to reach dead souls? Because he is. He is. He has the power. He has the piety. And he has his people through whom he will work. And do you have that outward faith that he's working through you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, holy and righteous God, author of life, we praise you that you have breathed life into our hearts, giving us faith in Christ, the author of our salvation. And Lord, we pray that you will increase our faith, that we may see you working through us, your power, your piety, it's your kingdom, Lord. Give us faith to be effective. Help us to be bold, hope-filled, and faithful servants. We pray all of this in that grand and glorious name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who gives us salvation. Amen.